Hello, friends. You are listening to Whole and Free, a podcast serving you a heaping helping of encouraging truth to free your soul and make you whole. This is Kathy Schwanke, speaker, author, and encourager of the faithful, here to help you soar on the sturdy wings of truth and love. And I love that picture of soaring, how the eagle just stretches out its wings and the wind carries it along. I keep that image in my mind when I'm talking about freedom, because that's what Jesus offers us. If you've been listening to season two of the podcast, you've heard me talk about awakening to six things. Awaken your heart was the first one. And awaken your heart to singing to combat dark clouds. Awaken your heart to know the way to attain peace in the midst of chaos. Awaken your heart in knowing how to walk in your calling and in how to see suffering as the blessing that it is. And then last week, awaken your heart to understanding that you have been delivered and you can now and every day walk in freedom. The first topic I address in both seasons of the podcast is what I call the foundation of everything. And if we're seeking transformation on our journey through the wilderness that is earth, we've got to tend to it. What is it? Our heart. And what about our heart? Our heart needs to believe and receive God's love for us. We need to believe and receive his entire truth. Not one word of God will ever fail, scripture says. And believing that is our aim and our goal. And that's where freedom comes from. Because you know, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. God's love is the gift of the blood of Jesus. Just as the thrumming beating organ we call the heart is to the body, the heart or spirit or breath of a person is the hub or center or heartbeat of our soul which is our whole being. I love how God gives us earthly things to be a picture of the spiritual invisible things. So the heart to the body and the hub to the spirit is called our heart. Our heart is the hub of our life and what our hearts believe in this life impacts our eternal destiny. Our hearts are the basis for our decision-making for our emotions, and ultimately for the course and impact of our one beautiful life. The heart is a control center or the engine room of our life. I quote Jesus often on here when he says, out of the overflow or out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But I've never yet read the whole verse. In context, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who have just accused him of having an evil spirit. Imagine, they who saw themselves as God's servants could not see the Holy Spirit on Jesus. Their pride blinded them, their hearts were hard, and the truth was veiled to them. Last week in my daily reading, I was steeping, spending a lot of time in 2 Corinthians 3. And I saw that Paul, in his letter, was defending his calling and ministry because the Corinthians were evidently impressed with flashy false apostles, and they were hell-bent on overlooking Paul, who had invested so much into them in establishing the church there. After Paul planted the church in Corinth, he moved on. And after he left, he'd heard the church had gone rogue. They'd become worldly, competitive, and self-centered. 
and they were sinning by tolerating sexual immorality among them. It was a bad deal, and you can read his angst if you read 1 Corinthians, the first letter. In his first letter, he was correcting their worldliness and sin. He was calling them to repentance. In the second letter, he is both commending them for what they've gotten right and correcting more of their worldly thinking. So he wrote in chapter 3, verse 1, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? And then he says, You yourselves are our letter, inscribed on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Paul's churches that he planted, he calls them the letter that are inscribed on his hearts. And Paul goes on to say in verse 3, It is clear that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, like the Old Covenant, but on tablets of human hearts. This is the new. Verse 4, Such confidence before God is ours through Christ, not that we're competent or sufficient in ourselves to claim that anything comes from us, But our competence or our sufficiency comes from God. And he, the Lord, has qualified us as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, like the old, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The Greek word for sufficient, when Paul's saying God has made us sufficient, our sufficiency isn't in ourselves, uh, is hykanos, and it means fit, worthy and enough. I loved reading that because in modern culture, we see a lot of, am I enough or you are enough? But our sufficiency, our enoughness comes, as Paul said, from the Lord, not from anything within ourselves. He goes on to write in verse seven, now, if the ministry of death which was engraved in letters on stone, the old covenant came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at the face of Moses because of its fleeting glory. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? So just to kind of recap, he is contrasting the old covenant to the new. The old covenant was written on stones and we could not keep it, which was the whole point of it, to point us to our need for a savior. And then the day that Jesus came, we have this new covenant and he is able to send his spirit into our hearts. And so the word then is written on our hearts. It's a living word on our hearts. Picking up then in verse 9, For if the ministry of condemnation, the law condemned, was glorious because the law revealed God's heart, how much more glorious is the ministry of righteousness, that ministry Jesus brought? Indeed, I'm reading verse 10 now, What was once glorious has no glory now in comparison to the glory that surpasses it. For if what was fading away came from or came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which endures? Paul writes a mouthful. <laughs> he has some long, long sentences sometimes, but this passage right here, verses 7 through 11, have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 mentions of glory. And the old covenant, he's essentially saying, was glorious, but we couldn't keep it, so it led to condemnation. And the new covenant is much more glorious because it provides freedom. It provides mercy. It provides a way for us to be reconciled to God. 
Praise God for Jesus. The Greek word for glory is doxa. It means honor, renown, glory, an especially divine quality, and the unspoken manifestation of God or splendor. Therefore, since we have such a hope, Paul writes in verse 12, we are very bold. So the hope that we have is that we are free from sin and we are in glory with the Lord. So verse 12, I'm going to read it again. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. And the word bold in Greek is parisia, meaning freedom of speech, confidence, freedom. There's our word for the whole podcast, freedom and wholeness. Um, I'm talking about the uh, definition of bold and the Greek word parisia means openness, especially in speech, boldness and confidence. So if you think about Jesus and his boldness, uh, he has that freedom because he's confident in what? In who he is and in whose he is, that he belongs to the Father. And so he can speak because he only speaks what the Father says. So the boldness comes from knowing God's word and knowing the truth of our freedom in Christ. And then we can be especially bold in speech. How can we be so confident in speech? Because we know our Father and we know his word. We are speaking faith words directly from the Holy Spirit who reveals to us the heart of our Father, the living water, as we daily behold his word of life. So the same way Jesus lived on earth, he said he only does what the Father tells him to do, is his goal for us, his desire for us, is that we would lean in and listen to God's word and then live in response to that, not out of the things inside of us that compel us, but out of the leading of the Lord. Paul goes on to say in verse 13, we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at the end of what was fading away. So they couldn't look at Moses. It made them tremble. So he put a veil on because the glory was so astonishing to them. But Paul says it was fading away because it was a glory that was leading to the greater glory, which is a new covenant. So I'm doing a lot of explaining in here. <laughs> you might want to go back and open your Bible next time you listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, but we're almost through here. I'm going to go through verse 16, starting at 14. But their minds were closed, for to this day the same veil remains at the reading of the Old Covenant. It has not been lifted, because only in Christ can it be removed. And even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Did you catch the connection with the heart and the eyes of the heart? The heart is veiled when the Old Testament is read to those who can't see, and the eyes are veiled. Uh, it's, I don't know, I just think the Lord is beautiful and wild at the same time in how he communicates with us, which is why I love looking at his word and coming to understand these things as his word reveals them. But people who don't respond to Jesus with repentance and faith, have a veil over their eyes, essentially. And the veil is only removed when Jesus gives the ability to see with our eyes in our heart. And uh, if you think about Moses having to cover his face, uh, and we are made in the image of God, Genesis tells us that, it is our face that reveals the glory that is in our heart 
you and I who are in Christ are unveiled. We are basically bold-faced because we have the glory within us. So sin brought shame. Adam and Eve wanted to hide. Jesus came and gave us a covering so that we are no longer bound by shame. We are free. And that's what the unveiled face is reflecting, is that freedom, that we believe that the Lord Jesus loves us and we are free of shame. What is the glory within us? It is the spirit of Jesus. The spirit of the living God dwells in us. The living letters written by the spirit on our hearts get reflected in our face and through our speech, through our words. Paul goes on to say in verse 17 then, Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. (laughs) There's our word again. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into his image with intensifying or increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So Jesus loves our faces to reflect his glory. He unmasked us. We used to pretend. That's what we do in the flesh, is we cover ourselves with different ways of feeling lovable, But when we meet Jesus, we get rid of those old ways. Those are the lies that we unearth and replace with the truth so we can walk in freedom. And then we have the freedom because the joy of the Lord shines on our face. Getting back to the passage where the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of having a demon in Matthew 12, 34. Jesus boldly responded to their accusation by telling them that sinning against the Holy Spirit is blasphemy and would not be forgiven. He's warning them that they're on very shaky ground. And then he says to their faces, now picture Jesus, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus wasn't the first one to say it. Solomon in Proverbs writes, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Proverbs 4.23 and that's in the New Living. The ESV says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And then the ASV says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So the course of your life, the springs of your life, and the issues of your life all stem from the heart. And we're called to guard it above all else, with all vigilance, and with all diligence. Consider how often Jesus addresses the human heart, and knowing the importance of understanding our hearts, it serves us to consider this topic deeply and understand it clearly. I think much of what happens in the world today is based on feelings derived from fear instead of on wisdom derived from faith. Likely that's due to our failure to consider and address the issues of the heart. How do we Guard our heart with all diligence. If we live with to-dos and don't-dos without giving a heart a good reason for them, or if we fail to teach the reality of the inner life and the value of each person, of each soul created in God's image, we find a society with an identity crisis. Failure to address the health and flourishing of the heart leads to a mental health crisis, and we all know that among other ailments in our culture, that is our current reality. 
My nurse friend recently told me how her ER increasingly sees parents bringing in their children who are suicidal. I believe it is due to the fact that the children have no sense of identity or of destiny. They're left to their feelings, and so they lack hope. It was around 2018 when the trans culture was ramping up to the shock and disbelief of many of us. One day, a friend reported that her five-year-old had come home from school and told her, Mommy, the teacher told us that Johnny is no longer a boy, he's a girl, and we're supposed to call him Pickles. The six of us sat there slack-jawed before expressing our horror at the whole scenario. After the conversation that day, the story continued to haunt me. As I considered the scene in little Johnny's home, it looked something like this to me. Ignorant sweet mama told little Johnny, Sure, honey, you can be anything you want to be. And so, at five years old, Johnny decided he wanted to be a little girl named Pickles. And the teacher went along with a charade and brought all the kids into this ignorance with them. But what happens when Johnny's seven and wants to be a boy again? Maybe he wants to change his name to Wolf. And then years go by, maybe he's in ninth grade and Johnny's feeling so uncertain of who he is and he likely feels rejected. How can anyone feel confident in who they are when they don't have any grounding? He doesn't want to be himself anymore. Maybe he thinks it would be sweet to be a dog. After all, he has noticed people treat dogs better than they treat people. And who knows, then, where this confusion trail will lead poor Johnny. Unless Johnny meets Jesus and finds out he was created to be a boy on purpose and for a special purpose, in adulthood, poor Johnny is going to have an identity crisis and have no idea who he is or what he is on planet Earth for. He will be a man in whatever form he has at the time and not know anything about what in the world he's here for. This is a hopeless and meaningless state. Hope and meaning come from identity and destiny. Hope and meaning, I'll say it again, come from identity and destiny. And those two things are given us from the Lord. God is the author of every life. He has assigned identity and he has assigned meaning for every life he creates. Our heart is the location of where we store what we believe. Our heart is where we believe our worth, where we believe we can, where we believe in hope and we believe again. Our heart is where we believe in Jesus. As believers in Jesus, we know he is humankind's only sure hope. Ultimately, the heart is dead inside until it meets with Jesus and the eyes of the heart are blind until they see that his mercy is what every heart needs. He is the glory. He is the glorious one that seeks to free every human heart and unveil every human face. The boldness we talked about, it comes from trusting the Lord with your whole heart and leaning not on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5. You and I can be bold. We are bold because we are freed from shame as blood-bought children of God. Jesus' mercy is the living water that drenches thirsty souls. In the passage I read earlier from 2 Corinthians 3, we saw the contrast of the heart without mercy and the heart with mercy. Listen to these contrasts pulled out of that passage. The Ten Commandments or the Old Covenant were contrasted to the grace and mercy through Jesus of the New Covenant. He fulfilled the law that we couldn't and set us free by his blood. The law written on stones kills, because we have no power to keep it. 
the law written on hearts by the Holy Spirit gives us eternal life. We are insufficient in ourselves, but the Spirit coming in makes us sufficient for all things. We are not enough under law. We are amply supplied and sufficiently qualified and freed by the Spirit. We have earthly contrasted to heavenly. We have fleshly contrasted with spiritual. We have condemnation from the old law contrasted with righteousness in the new. But the old is past and the new is present and future. This is the good news. Those of us who accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, who cleans us up and makes us a new creation, are free. Sin, what he saved us from, depletes, like this drought that we're experiencing here in Wisconsin. Things are depressed and dry. Sin steals like the weeds that drink what the plants would otherwise take in. Sin kills relationships, which are the sheltering trees in the heat of this wilderness we call life on planet Earth. Sin can only be atoned for by the blood of Jesus, who cries from the cross, It is finished. The deed is done, the debt has been paid, death has died, and mercy is free. The road to freedom is repentance. It's agreeing with God, I sin and I can't obey your law. I need you. Please forgive me. He comes in and he cleans us. He writes his word in our heart. He comes and he lives in us. And then we live by faith, not by what our physical eyes see, but by what our heart knows. Every word of God is true, and not one word of God will fail. This is freedom. The Holy Spirit in us, enabling us to walk free from shame, bold-faced, bold with our words, confident in our Father in heaven, whose word will never fail, whose love will never fail, whose grip on us will never let go. And that is hope. That is power to be free. The Spirit of God enables us to rest our wings and soar on his mercy and grace. So, dear friends, cease striving, walk freely, and know that you have the Spirit of the living God in you to do what you cannot do. Walk free by faith today. Let the eyes of your heart lead you beyond what your natural eyes see and beyond what the world tells you. Bank on God's promises and your face will be radiant, revealing his glory. And I'll remind you of this again today. The Lord loves you. Jesus died to set you free. He's with you to get you all the way home to heaven. Do your part of turning toward him and he will do his in perfecting everything concerning you. Scoot in close. Listen for his sweet voice to remind you that you are his beloved and he has delivered you from bondage in order to bond you to himself. And I am praying for you to gain traction in living your one beautiful life, trusting Jesus on the journey whole and free. I'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, leave a rating, and I will see you back here next week. Thanks for listening, friends.